Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Scarlet Society podcast. I'm your host, Megan Rabbit. On today's show, I spoke to Heather Bartos, who is an OBGYN in Frisco, Texas, and a leading voice in the field of women's health and wellness. She is the founder of Badass Woman, Badass Health, and a proud pioneer of mind shift medicine, the integration of mental, physical, and emotional health to care for the whole woman. Dr. Bartos teaches women and their families how to thrive, no matter what stage of their lives. She is a board-certified OBGYN, a U.S. Navy veteran, and former chief of obstetrics and gynecology at Texas Health Hospital in Denton, Texas. She's been featured in publications such as Cosmo, Glamour, Reader's Digest, Women's Health, and ABC News, and she's currently working on a book about mindful sexuality for women. On today's show, we really dove into the topic of perimenopause, the difference between perimenopause and menopause. We talked about hormone therapy and what women need to know and how they can start thinking about it as we approach perimenopause and beyond, and how to tell we're in this stage in our lives. Not only that, but some of what I love the most about talking to Dr. Bartos today is how we can think about this time of our lives, this transition, and what we can do to kind of tee ourselves up for the smoothest ride possible. I absolutely love talking to Dr. Bartos today, and I hope you love listening. You're listening to the Scarlet Society Podcast, the show that encourages women over 40 to be excited, curious, and even turned on by starting the second half of their life. This is the show for support, community, and conversation about everything that goes along with this season. From sexual health and wellness to sexual exploration, finances, monogamy, and relationships, no topic is off limits. Let's dive in. Okay, Dr. Bartos, I am so excited to have you on the Scarlet Society podcast today. We are talking everything menopause and perimenopause, which is exactly where I'd love to start with you because I think there is so much confusion about what's the difference? Do I have to worry about perimenopause? I thought all I needed to worry about was like the big M. So tell it to us straight. What is the difference between perimenopause and menopause and why should every woman in their 40s care? Yeah, I think we were kind of handed a load of crap at some point because we weren't warned that this perimenopause, menopause time was coming. I think a lot of us in our age group, our mothers did not talk about it. They just kind of suffered in silence and it was just a part of life. And so there was no warning. There was no tsunami warning that this was coming. We got a little bit of warning at the beginning. You know, when we started puberty, you know, they kind of did this kind of half-assed kind of, here's what happens. I'm not sure what the boys were learning, but I, I know we were handed like a monster maxi pad and said, welcome to womanhood. And I thought, this sucks. And so while we're kind of entering reproductive time as we're tweens and teenagers, this is the decline of reproductive time. And it's important because it's not like a one day, one moment in time. It's a process. This is kind of the ovaries are tired. They're tired. They've been working for a long time and they're just like, can we please go on a vacay? And can we please retire? And this is their their kind of retirement party. And so it can last for up to 10 years that women will have symptoms and they can come and they can go. So it's not like it's a direct decline down, but it kind of looks like weight loss, kind of up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down until finally one day you're in menopause. You stop having periods for a year and boom, you're done. And that's kind of when I think everyone kind of is relieved <laughs> because perimenopause sucks. 
Yeah. So I think that's the really interesting piece where menopause is actually one day, right? It's the day that is after a year of not having periods. Right. Right. And so perimenopause is like when we think about these menopausal symptoms of hot flashes, and we're going to get into that because I really want to know kind of like what potentially is in store. That's the period. And like, do we know why it can vary so much for women? Like why can some women deal with perimenopause for like, you know, a decade and others maybe like, you know, barely get any symptoms for like a year? Yeah. You know, it's funny because women do the same thing with menopause. You know, some women, they'll come in and they're like, oh, I never had a hot flash. I never had, you know, any symptoms. I just went right into menopause. And I'm like, who are you people? That's not the majority. It's kind of like people that have the really easy pregnancies. They go, I never had a hemorrhoid or anything. And we're like, bitch, (laughs) that's not it for most of us. So kind of like what your mom does sometimes can be kind of foretelling of what we might go through. But also there's environmental factors. There's our weight, our stress levels, um, just kind of where we are with everything, um, our health can all kind of change the symptoms of perimenopause. But a lot of times women don't even come in to get help for that because they just literally think, I'm just become a bitch or I'm just, I'm angry or I'm just, I must be depressed or I can't lose those 10 pounds. Like I I must just try harder. And so a lot of women still suffer in silence about perimenopause until you go, oh honey, this is perimenopause and this sucks. You know, I once talked to, I interviewed a doctor who said um, that she knew she was in perimenopause and she was a doctor. She knew she was in perimenopause when she wanted to kill her husband, which I thought was fascinating. She was like, literally, I thought about that. I've had husbands call and make the appointment for their spouse because he's like, I don't know what's wrong, but can you fix her, please? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I mean, this leads me to wanting to get a sense from you as to what kinds of symptoms, because I think the more we talk about the symptoms that can surface, the more we're able to clue in in our 40s to what might come up. And then, uh uh-oh, I better call my doctor about this. It's not just me not getting enough sleep, right? So talk to me about some of the biggest symptoms of perimenopause that we should be clued into. Oh my gosh. Almost any symptom can be one of perimenopause, but I will start with, I'll kind of start head to toe. So a lot of women will feel depression, um, increased anxiety, even if you weren't anxious before, it's just kind of this pervasive anxiety. Um, again, we talk about the mood, just you lose the filter. So you just say things and you go, I know that's bitchy, but why am I, but I don't care. I wanted to say it. That's a, a sleep problem. So a lot of women will say, I just can't get to sleep or I can't stay asleep. And then as you kind of go down the body, I mean, the hot flashes, Joint pain can be a big one and uh, irregular periods, loss of libido or inability to orgasm. These are all kind of, it can be almost anything. And it's funny because they'll go to like a primary care person and they'll be like, oh, you have depression. And they'll put them on medications and guess what? The libido gets worse or the orgasm. So sometimes the, the, the fixes that are meant to be helpful actually can make things worse. And so it's really important to find someone who is kind of well-versed in perimenopause. I think women are really better at this because we're doing it ourselves. But finding someone that's going to really listen and say, yes, all those symptoms, all are signs. Mm. So I want to get back to the importance of finding a real partner in a in a physician or healthcare provider when we go through perimenopause. I feel like that's so important. But first, I want to ask you to geek out a little bit on the science. So you talked about all these symptoms of like what's happening, depression, you know, 
joint pain, like all these things. So what's happening hormonally during this time to prompt some of these issues to pop up? Yeah. So, you know, the ovaries are slowly melting, kind of like the Wicked Witch. And so what's happening is the brain, our brains are saying, hey, you know, you're young, you need to make, let's make an, let's make an egg and let's have a baby. And your ovaries are like, dude, screw you. I'm tired. And so what happens is we'll see the brain hormones are trying harder and harder. I always kind of compare it to like the mom trying to get the kid to clean the room, like clean your room. And the kid's like, I don't want to clean the room, clean the room. And so the brain hormones go up and up and up trying to incite the ovaries, like override the ovaries to do something. And their ovaries are like, nah, I got nothing right now. I got nothing. And some months, of course, they maybe can produce a follicle and have a, have an egg. And there are are babies born in perimenopause. But for the most part, a lot of times you'll get a skipped ovulation, which will then result in a skipped period. And that's why we start to have the irregular periods. Some women, their brain starts working so well that they have these super, like almost like you can set a watch, like Big Ben could be set to these periods. Like it's every month on the dot, but they're heavy because the brain's flooding everyone so much that the ovaries are like, God, I get it already. And so the hormones kind of overproduce and then you have these very heavy cycles too. So it could be almost anything. Okay. You know, for women who don't have a period, let's say they're on hormonal birth control, like there's an IUD and they're one of the ones who just never get a period. I think a lot of women are like, well, how do I even tell if I'm not getting these kind of mood symptoms or other physical symptoms? I think a lot of us think our our period is a good gauge. And for those of us who've never had a period, et cetera, what's your advice for, for those women? Yeah. So women that are on combined oral contraceptive, so they have estrogen and progesterone in them, um, that is actually kind of about 10 times the dose that we use for a woman in menopause for hormone replacement therapy. So those women are actually on treatment for perimenopause, just at much higher doses. It's a lot of overkill. And so if you're not having a period um, and you're on this mega dose of estrogen comparatively to what a menopausal dose would be, you might not have a lot of the symptoms. You might actually, your, your ovaries are doing what they're supposed to be doing and your hormones are set. So you're kind of faking out the system a little bit on those. And one of the biggest things is me trying to get those out of women's hands as they turn 50. I'm like, no, you got to give them up now. You got to give them up now, sister. And they're like, no, I don't want to give them up. You got to give them up because we may be able to go to lower dose hormones, which is what we want. We don't want to go into our 50s and 60s on these super mega dose hormones because of the risks of, you know, high hormones as we age, you know, heart, um, breast, uh, stroke, all those can be elevated in women who take estrogen. So we want to really get the right dose at the right time. Oof. You know, I think you're hitting on something that's a real shocker for a lot of people. I know it shocked me when I first reported on this, which is a lot of women going into perimenopause, menopause think, I don't want hormone re- therapy. I've heard that it causes all kinds of issues, but I found out that actually hormonal birth control has so much more, you know, you're getting a lot more hormones than you are in in a typical hormone therapy for for menopause. And like that blew my mind. So can you talk a little bit about that? And why do we still believe these myths about, you know, uh, hormone treatment in perimenopause and menopause? Well, it's funny, even my nurse practitioner the other day, she goes, well, but I should take her off I mean, but this is a better hormone dose than than HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy that we use in menopause. 
And I said, no, it's, it's a, it's like a SAT question. So when we give a milligram of estradiol to a woman who's menopausal, but we give a 0.1 of an ethanol estradiol or 0.35 or whatever it is, it's a different estrogen. And so it looks like it's a lower dose, but bio, uh, bio, biologically, what is the word? Biologically, bio- identically, yeah. <laughs> it is actually. <laughs> I'm tripping up on my lack of coffee, then it actually is a much lower dose. So we give lower dosing. It just looks like if you looked at two packages, you'd be like, oh, this is clearly a lower dose. But I would say, you know, you need the highest dose birth control that you need, contraceptive dose, if you're using it for whatever, goes to the younger women. They have more hormones to beat down. So your 15-year-old's got a lot of hormones. I mean, those are fresh ovaries. They are but yeah. as we get older, we don't need as much because those ovaries are like, eh, yeah, whatever. I'm here. I'm here for the party. <laughs> they kind of become those people. And uh, so once we get to <laughs> menopause, the hormone dosing is very, very, very small. And what we want to do is we want to give the lowest dose of whatever hormone it is that takes away the symptoms. That's the whole key to managing hormones as we transition, because it's a transition, is lowest dose for the symptoms. Oof. And I feel like, why is it so important to treat the symptoms? I, I think for, for women who are like, I haven't been on the pill in a while or no hormonal birth control. I want to stay, you know, hormone free here. But like, talk to me a little bit about why it can be so beneficial on a number of, you know, levels to treat those perimenopausal symptoms. Right. Well, it's, you know, and every woman has their own kind of feelings about hormones and hormone replacement therapy. And I get that. And it needs to be an individual conversation, of course, with what your individual risk factors are. So if everyone in the family has breast cancer, you may want to stay away from, 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 you know, hormone replacement therapy. And there's other things that we can do to kind of spot fix. So it's kind of like a fix a flat here, a fix a flat here, fix a flat here. One thing I hear women say is, is, oh, I'm just going to fix it with diet and exercise. And if that's possible, great. But by the time they come to me, they are usually in tears and there's so much misery that they can't get out of bed. They can't, they're mean to their kids. They're, they're, they're hurting so bad that I'll say, you know what, let's just do this for a short time so that we can then wean you down, which is what mother nature is not doing for you is the slow wean down. And so a lot of times they'll, they'll say, okay, okay. And I had one the other day that was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I said, well, those are kind of our options. She'd already been to a functional doctor. They tried paleo. They tried all these things. She goes, I just can't try anymore. I need some, give me some shit. I need some stuff. So <laughs> I, need the I was good like, stuff. great. We're not, and we're not going to put you on them forever. And we're not going to give you mega doses. You know, we're just going to yeah. try to just level the symptoms out long enough to where then you can ease because the symptoms of this perimenopause and menopause don't last forever. They usually last for the first couple of years just like puberty. We didn't have all the horrible acne and all the mood swings and all that for all of our teens. Well, at least most of us didn't, but they usually kind of subside once the body gets used to to the vibe of where we are now. Is there any correlation between how our puberty went to how our perimenopause is going to go or has that not been researched or... You know, I think it probably has, it's a great, it's a great question. That would be an amazing, it'd have to be a very longitudinal study because I don't remember. I think I was probably a huge bitch when I was 12. 
12 and 13. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just hear stories from my mom. And yeah. uh, and I remember. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm kind of scared to know if that's what I'm going to be like again. Because I don't, I don't want to be that person. I don't think any of us want to become like a big a bitch or what Karen or whatever they're called now. Like, we don't want to ask the manager. We just want to be like, can we just do this in peace? But, you know, I think as more women doctors are getting into this field and really studying this, it'll be something that will probably start to be looked at. Because up until now, this has all been run by the patriarchy, the old male doctors who said, oh, honey, honey, let's get a hysterectomy, take everything out, and here's some estrogen for you. And that's all you need. Mm. And now we're keeping we're keeping our uteruses longer. We're trying not to have hysterectomies unless we literally need them to survive. And so I think that you're going to see as more women doctors get involved in this that are going through it themselves. It's kind of where we want to, you know, do unto others as we would do unto ourselves. We don't want to do all that. So we're looking uh. for newer ways to do things. So how do we find a, a real partner in our doctor, in our nurse practitioner, in our healthcare practitioner through this process? You know, what is your best advice for us? Because I, I want that for myself. You know, I want someone who's going right. to listen to my symptoms and and say, girl, I got you, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, I'm not going to say it. it's like, it's kind of like the white rabbit down the, down the <laughs> then you're Alice. Yeah. yeah, it's not always easy. And um, I'm always wary of, a lot of my colleagues, as wonderful as they are, are very, they're not sure. We don't get a lot of education, believe it or not, in the field of obstetrics and gynecology about this part of life. We really get like maybe a lecture. That's it. And so a lot of these younger doctors are just delivering babies. They're not really focusing on their patients who are like 40 plus. And so one, as I say, try to stay away from just like the average chiropractor that's picked this up as a hobby. There is an, an ear, nose and throat doctor in our town that's now doing hormones. And I'm like, dude, you, this is not your area. Read the room, buddy. Get out of this. Get out of this. One, because I, I think it's harder for men to understand it. But two, I'm like, you're not training anything. I mean, you do boogers and like sinuses. <laughs> like This is not your area. Um, so I think a lot of people have gotten into it thinking that there's money. And I always caution women, any place that you have to go and spend a ton of money on supplements and this and this and, and just, you know, multiple visits is, is makes you wary. So I would definitely, um, and some nurse practitioners kind of like to play in this area, but they're not always very experted in it. So it's going to take a lot of like asking around friends, asking around like, Hey, and we don't tend to talk about this with each other at all. So it's kind of, you have to say, Hey, I'm, I'm suffering in perimenopause. Who you guys got? Who you know? Um, because like I said, I, I'm, I'm on this group with other OBGYNs and there, there is a lot of bashing about women that, uh, doctors that do hormone testing and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's a very divided. There's a lot of drama because of course it's all women, right? A lot of drama. <laughs> so I yeah. would say look and don't quit with the first person. Just say not the right person because there's somebody for everybody. Okay. And there's also like, isn't there a link you can go to for menopause specialists? I mean, is it, it's like the North American Menopause Society. Is that a resource to at least start to see if there's someone in your area? That's certainly a great thing. But like someone like me, I'm not in the North American Menopause Society. So, you know, it's for doctors to join those kind of groups, we have to end up paying a lot of money and then we have to do a lot of extra things. And so, you know, I think definitely that's a great place to start. And then, you know, I always say, 
make sure that they maybe take your insurance. Again, I'm just wary of, of places that only want to charge you a bunch of cash for things. And I would definitely stay away from like these hormone centers, like testosterone centers and all this, because I've had yeah. women come back with testosterones that would basically be transitioning them over to the male side. And God. there's a lot of bad things that happen with that. So... Wow. Well, I think that's a really good point. Like, even if you don't see a practitioner on a list like that, like, have a conversation, right? I feel like if I was in your office and you're talking like you are now, I would be like, okay, sign me up here. Like, this woman gets it and she's gonna, she's gonna work with me. And I feel like with any doctor, really, in an ideal world, you feel comfortable, right? Because these are really, these are sensitive topics. Like, you're, you're gonna need to talk about, you know, yeah, vaginal dryness and tough, you know, changes that are happening with sex. And like, you want to feel comfortable, right? That's the big key is that you feel comfortable with, with whomever you're going to be speaking to and that you have a doctor that actually, or a practitioner that actually listens and is able to provide kind of the whole package. Now, again, we're talking about, you know, maybe a unicorn, maybe like a Pegasus or something not quite unicorny. But I would also look for generally someone who is experienced, I won't say older, is experienced because generally as OBGYNs kind of get older, I'll say, I'll say as we get older, mm-hmm. we're not tending to want to do a bunch of obstetrics anymore we're kind of in that same spot. So we really like being able to kind of build a community of women that are also in the same spot. Oh, that's a great tip. It almost seems like that's kind of how you go into the waiting room and you're not just, you know, at age 48 surrounded by like pregnant bellies, you know, and you're like, wait a second, I did that. That's behind me. And now like, so that's interesting. Yeah. Like kind of looking for that doctor who might've gone through it or is, is going through it um, to help you be an ally throughout this process. Yeah. And uh, it's not always easy to find, but it's definitely, it's worth finding the person that will do this with you. And I always kind of use with my patients, the analogy of, uh, I forget that Meryl Streep movie, but it's the one where she's like a river guide. Like she's and Kevin Bacon, like hijacks her boat. I mean, her little raft. And I'm like, so you need a Meryl Streep because perimenopause is those rapids, right? They're those class five rapids and there's turns, there's twists, and there's bumps and one of us might fall out of the boat. And then if we can get through the whole process, not Kevin Bacon and whoever the other bad guy was out of there, <laughs> then we get to like the lake at the end and that's menopause. And now we've kind of gotten there. And mm. so that's what you're, you're looking for Meryl Streep. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh man, I love that. So I, I think a lot of my friends I know are talking about like, so how do I really know? Is there a hormone test we should be asking for? Like, what are some of the questions to kind of ask your hopefully menopause specialist or, or, you know, OBGYN who gets it and is going to be your partner? Like, where do we start to kind of say, where am I in this process? Right. Well, I think one, it's, it's really, so the hormones are kind of like, people are kind of 50-50 on it, is in perimenopause, I could check your hormones today and you might be, I might be like, girl, you're, you look great. You got the ovaries of a 25 year old, no problems. And that's going to just make you feel like crap because you're like, well, but I feel like ass. And then I'm going to say, well, but hold on. If we test in two months, we might've caught you in a different part of perimenopause and it'd be different. So, you know, some people do check, some people don't. I like to kind of fully check because there's so many symptoms of perimenopause that could also be other things. So I always will check 
I'll check, I'll check all the hormones. I'll check thyroid, um, insulin, leptin, um, female male hormones, kind of the whole panel at least once because I'll usually find a few things that might contribute to all of it because anything that's a hormone can cause a lot of those same side effects. So too much thyroid, too little thyroid, insulin resistance with the weight gain. So, you know, we got to kind of get the whole picture. Um, and so it's important that, that, you know, I don't think you should be getting labs every month or every two weeks because you're not doing fertility. But I do think that usually a baseline set of labs is just kind of a nice thing to see where you are. And at what point, you know, is that if you're starting to see symptoms or is that if you're, you know, in your mid forties and you're like, I feel great. My periods are pretty normal if, you know, if I'm getting periods and, you know, at what point do you recommend that sort of like, okay, wait, I need those tests. I would say if a woman is feeling great, leave it. Don't come in. Don't go there yet. Just kind of, you're knowing the symptoms now and you're kind of looking for things, but it's kind of like, you know, don't wake a sleeping baby. You know, if we find something on a lab work and you're feeling great, what do we do now? Do we fix it and potentially have you not feeling as great? Or do we say, okay, well, this is, this looks like you're not feeling good, but you know what I mean? It's, it's going to kind of, it starts to mess with your mind a little bit. And because you're like, oh God, I had no testosterone. Well, I didn't know that. I felt fine. Now I have no sex. And you're leaving the office going, I had no sex drive now. <laughs> and you're like, it's <laughs> probably just literally a placebo effect because we just told you that. So right. I would say if a woman's feeling amazing and great, do the do your well woman's every year, get your annuals, get your mammograms, do all that good stuff. And then, you know, I think it's worth talking um, to your provider and it doesn't need to be a menopause specialist at this point, but is, you know, what do you see for me for the next few years? Where am I going? Like, what am I to expect? Uh, we have what to expect when you're expecting. We don't have what to expect when you're menopausing. We don't have that. And so I think it's fair saying, you know, what, what happens when I turn 50? Like what, what do you think about hormones? And then I think it's important for a woman to think what she thinks about hormones. You know, is that something she wants to do? Um, I've always said, you know, with estrogen cream, which is great for dry vaginas, I tell women, I'm like, you have to pry that shit out of my cold, dead hands because that <laughs> stuff is amazing. And it's yeah. amazing. It really completely rejuvenates the vagina to where you can have sex and everything and less UTIs as we get older and older and older. But, you know, but other hormones, you know, I mean, I'm 51 and so I should be, right? I'm like right in the middle and I have the occasional thing, but I'm like, I'm not going to take hormones yet because I don't feel like I need them yet. But when I do, I'll be in line at the pharmacy. You'll see me there <laughs> with all my packages yeah. and I'm going to fix them. I think that's really important to kind of think early on about how you feel about hormones and to educate yourself, right? If you were mm-hmm. of the in the camp of like, oh, I don't want all those hormones and now you know, wait a second, you're actually getting less than you did if you were on hormonal birth control. Like that's a big aha that might change your mind, right? One thing that I know has really struck me is a lot of the new research about estrogen's protective benefits on everything from your brain to your bones. That's That's opened my mind to like, oh, if I'm dealing with symptoms and I know my estrogen is in the tanker, like, why not? You know, like, again, after talking to a specialist who can really help guide me through that. Right. And I, you know, I tell women too, like, we're not going to be doing this forever. So, you know, I think women are afraid that once they're on hormones, 
they're stuck there forever. And, you know, the truth is I always say, you know, look, let's try to wean you down. Let's say you're 50 and you come in and, and you're fully menopausal and you need something. And you were going to do maca root and evening primrose oil and black and blue cohosh. And you're like, this just shit ain't cutting it. So we, we said, let's do, let's do something for a while. And I may say, you know what? In a few years, in five years, let's plan to try to wean down. And maybe we can't wean off, but maybe we can go down a dose. Maybe we can start to compound even a lower dose. And then I usually try by the time everyone's kind of hitting Medicare age of 65 to say, let's try to get off by then. Although I had a woman one time, and this is shows you how people can get addicted to the idea of hormones. She was 80 with a walker. And I think she'd already had a few strokes. And I mean, you know, she was she was nice looking, but she was not gonna be, you know, she wasn't Betty White, let me put it this way. <laughs> and and she was on four milligrams of estrogen every day. And I said, Oh my god. Is that a lot? You? That is like four times the dose that I would put either of us on at wow. yes, younger women. And I said, You've had a stroke and you're in a walker, and um we need to wean this down. And she goes, Oh. No, no, I can't. And I said, well, I'm just going to say you really, 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 really need to wean this. This is too much. And I was worried about blood clots or whatever else that she might get. And she said, no, every time I go down to three milligrams, my boobs drop. So she said, I can't. And I said, I don't think that your boobs drooping a little bit is the biggest problem right now. Like... I'm really worried about you being like dead or having a heart attack um, and your boobs won't droop if you get breast cancer and like they get lopped off. So, I mean, people get very like attached. They think they're like, they're the fountain of youth and they're really just there to help us kind of transition um, yeah. until where we don't need them anymore. You know, I interviewed another doctor for a story on perimenopause and menopause who said, actually, we're starting to try to get away from the term hormone replacement therapy yes. because it's mm -hmm. kind of a misnomer, right? You're, you as a doctor are not trying to replace all of my hormones during this time. Is that right? You know, can you talk to me a little bit about how what you're talking about now is it's just it's a little boost here to like take down some symptoms and give me a little, you know. It's definitely a boost. Yes. And the HRT term has kind of really kind of gone out of favor with the, with the medical community, but it's just what everyone's used to talking about and hearing. Totally. Um, so, um, so we, you know, often call it menopausal hormonal therapy or something like that. But, you know, I don't even like the word therapy because it sounds like there's a problem. It's really just, like you said, it's, it's like a supplementation or an augmentation. And, um, you know, so I think that we are kind of trying to, Re, and this is an example of people trying to realign what we think about hormones. But the truth is, yeah, we're not replacing it. And I tell women, I'm like, these are, these are not necessary. These are not like life. You don't have to have them to survive, but they're, they're niceties that we get to have because we live in a country where there's access to them or we live in countries where we can get them. But if you forget one one day, you're not going to just keel over and die. It's not like you don't have a thyroid or anything. So it's really, I say, it, this is a, this is a, this is a gift. This is a, these are gifts that we get to do. Mm. You know, I would love to get your take on what we can do if we're staring down perimenopause. So for the woman listening right now, who's in her forties, she's like, oh, I know this is coming. It hasn't quite hit yet. Are there things we can do? You mentioned lifestyle factors before, like, you know, weight, you know, maybe keeping that in check. I'm curious about alcohol consumption, like anything we know that can either tee us up for potentially a smoother ride and things we can do that probably are not going to help us. One of the biggest things I think 
that we believe is that, you know, kind of life kind of ends at menopause. And, and that's like a younger woman's kind of thinking on that. Oh, I'll be in menopause. I'll be old. And, you know, the Chinese, their term for menopause actually means the second spring. And it's really a time that women get to kind of reevaluate their life and where they are and what they want to do for the second half of life. It's really midlife. And so when we start to kind of rework how we think about all of this, it doesn't seem so doom and gloom. It seems like an opportunity, right? Because if you can look at women, and this is what I always recommend my my younger women to do, 30s to early 40s, is look at these women out there who are 70, 80, 90, and are killing it. They're sexy. They're they're out there living large. Helen Mirren, you know, Julie Andrews. I mean, even even Betty White, who was sassy and great up until 99 and nine-tenths of her life. I mean, these are women that show us that menopause is not the end. It literally, some of these women just started their careers really at menopause. And so I think it's important one to have some of those role models, right? Because sometimes it's not always our moms or our aunts who are good role models for this. So one, as I say, look at these older women and start looking at them, following them. Paulina Porzakova will often post a lot of things online about, you know, her face without makeup and the wrinkles and whatever. And start going, but she's still amazing. She's still beautiful. So that's one thing I really try to focus on is is how good this is going to be, right? Not everyone makes it to menopause. This is also a gift. And then two is, is don't just try so hard. I know women are like, I, I know I can get back to my 20-year-old body. I know I can get back to this. And they're working their asses off. They're They're eating nothing or they're eating like, you know, green protein powder all day and they're they're going on the Peloton or the whatever, like, I mean, hours. And they're like, but nothing happens. And I'm like, well, what is nothing? I mean, maybe you're not quite the same shape or size that you were, but that's got to be good for your heart. It's good for your mental ability. So I start kind of reworking how we think about some of this stuff. And then two, I think also, or three, was it three? The three, whatever number I'm on, um, is, is kind of thinking about what you want, like how you want this to look for you. And it's not how we want to look for ourselves. It's, it's each, each woman has to choose this path. And it's, you know, do I want to do, am I open to hormones? Am I open to, you know, am I open to trying some natural things? Am I open to, I mean, what, what, what do I want this to look like? This is a choice and we get to pick this ride. Mm. And, and then, yeah, like I said, if you're trying really hard, stop. Life's supposed to be fun. If you gain 10 pounds, who cares? I mean, besides us, who cares, right? So I say, have fun because it's not meant to be torture. Perimenopause is not meant to be torture. It does suck sometimes, but it's not meant to be torture. Well, and what you're laying out here seems so doable, right? It's not some prescribed plan where you have to eat certain foods and steer clear of other things. I mean, it seems sort of like moderation in everything, right? But like your happiness, like go after the things that light you up so that even when you are kind of dealing with symptoms, you're in a better, more resourced place to get the help you need. Exactly. You know, and I think, you know, you asked about alcohol and I think, you know, wine is, is, is fine. I think alcohol is fine. It's as long as you're not what I call the mommy sippy cup, which is like the monster, like wine glass that you're like, Oh, and we joke about this as women, right? We joke about the mom wine club and like the women are drinking right out of the bottle and all this. I think that's kind of a dangerous meme that's out there because it looks like that's the only way that we can deal with things. And so, you know, if you like wine, great. If you like beer, great. Have some, have some, have some. <laughs> um, but don't live in it. Don't make that your escape and just try not to escape, you know, whatever it is, whether it's food, try not to just 
escape into your food or escape into your bed or escape into, I mean, that's not really fixing anything. That's just escapism. It sounds like what you are on a mission to do, like, is is really change the um, our mindset around this. It doesn't have to be this perimenopause. Menopause does not have to be this period of hell in your life. In fact, it, it sounds like it could be quite the opposite, especially if you've got um, support to treat the, the stuff that comes up when it does. Yeah, I I don't think Mother Nature is the huge bitch that we kind of sometimes think that she is. I think that this is really an opportunity for us to kind of take time to reassess. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of women tell me when they get to menopause, they feel very free. They don't have to worry about getting pregnant. Their kids may be out of the house or at least they're older and that, you know, they're at the maybe the peak of their career. And so they feel really, really good about like for the first time, they feel like very much just themselves. And I think that's what I'm going to go with. That's what Mother Nature wanted for us was a time to reassess and reevaluate. And that's kind of what, if we can ride perimenopause out, that's kind of what she's meant to do. I cannot thank you enough. This is such great information. I feel inspired. I feel really inspired to kind of, you know, rethink the next decade of my life and kind of um, have a more hopeful attitude about it, frankly. Yeah. So thank you. Because it gets better. It gets better, yeah. y'all. It gets better. Woo! Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the show today. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about where we can find you online, what you're offering. You know, do you do any courses? Are you going to write the what to expect when you hit perimenopause book? Please? You know what? I I may just have to start that. As soon as we get off, I'll be like, let's just start page one. <laughs> I love um, it. We may need to. I um See, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Heather Bartos, and um, I also have a podcast called The Me Spot, which really focuses on women's sexual health, especially as we get older. Um, and we talk about everything, like I say, from squirting to shame and tantra to cosplay, whatever's up, um, that we kind of approach these topics kind of like we're just hanging out as opposed to, you know, getting all whips and stuff like that out. It's just very approachable. And um, my website is drheatherbartos.com. And I don't have courses yet. I'm thinking that we may need to do some at some point because it's needed. Totally. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. This has been great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Your support means so much to us, and I hope you got some great value from today's episode. If you're looking for resources from today's show, or you'd like to join other women just like you, looking to explore their sexual health and wellness, visit us over at scarletsociety.com.